0: purification of virtue has some more aspects to it. The Buddha talked about ten virtues which we need to cultivate and develop to the point of perfection to attain complete liberation. They are called in Pali parami or paramita, and it means, literally translated, that what takes you beyond. So these are 10 qualities in us which take us beyond the human level. We need to recognize, eventually, that on the level of the ordinary human being, we cannot attain fulfillment, satisfaction, and the kind of happiness which we are all looking for. Doesn't mean that we cannot attain it as a human being but it cannot be attained on the human level. The human level is beset with too many obstructions, all in our own mind. No other place for them except in our own mind. And it's difficult Shift them and move them because the ordinary human mind has a sticky quality to it, it has a quality of adhesion. That's why so often the same thought patterns come up in meditation, although they are very distracting and they are not productive because our mind is sticky so it wants to do the same thing that's why it's also difficult to get rid of the obstructions. even though as an intelligent person we can recognize that many of our Thoughts, emotions, and reactions are detrimental to our own happiness. We still can't do it. What we know and what we can do is usually quite a fair distance apart. It doesn't matter as long as we keep trying. And it isn't for anybody benefit except our own and then when we set the benefit of it naturally other people have it too we are part of our surroundings our environment we're part of all that we contact these ten qualities that take us beyond are qualities which all of us have. We have them to some degree. Some of them we might have to a larger degree and some to a smaller degree. It is interesting for us and productive to introspect and see which one of these ten qualities are particularly lacking in us and make a determination to work on that one, particularly and with great energy. We may find that some of these are already developed within us. Then all we have to do is continue with them. The first one is generosity. And generosity takes pride of place because it is a quality which very markedly lets go of egocentricity. And The whole of the path is directed towards removing the ego illusion. So anything that will help us on the way, even though there may be small steps only, will be of great importance. Generosity has many different ways of manifesting. We can give things We can give money, we can give time, we can give attention, we can give care, we can give love and compassion, we can give a listening ear. To be a listener to other people is generosity. All of it denies self interest. The self interest, which is our most vital and most problematic interior being, is counterproductive to virtual emancipation that does not contradict being able to protect our own happiness. To protect our own happiness means that we find ourselves able to practice without disturbance and distraction. Self-interest means that we are beset with a contracted mind which can see nothing except what concerns us and everybody else is only on the periphery of our awareness generosity counteracts that particularly when we understand that we are together that whatever happens to one of us is happening to all of us that we have a totality experience in this universe which can never be separated naturally if our meditation has advanced to the point where this becomes a personal experience it's far easier to manifest that in generosity and loving kindness. But we can already understand that our own separation from others can only be alienation and cannot produce harmony. Particularly also if we're satisfied with separating ourselves from others in the company of another one, two, or three people, making our own little personal world, which is separated from the universal aspect, then our generosity will be very difficult because we do not see beyond the limits of that personal world. Generosity does not stay within certain limits, but is outgoing, giving, and has a quality of being connected. Even If we just give a little money, if it's done with a feeling of wanting to be part of a helping situation for those who need it more, it is already an outgoing and a connection. But we have opportunities for generosity in our everyday life almost constantly. This self-searching and self-concentration eventually has to lead to aggression, because everybody wants the same thing. And probably and possibly A little larger slice of it somebody's gonna slice into our slice and this is what we see in the world this is how it operates we need not think that we have to own there's nothing we own the only thing we can possibly say we own are the resultants of our own karma. Everything else is on loan, including this body, including this mind. And it's only on loan for a very short time. If we ever get that clear In our mind that whatever it is that we want to have and to keep, that it is impossible, that we may have the the possibility of borrowing it for a short time and then have to return it anyway, we might get the idea that we can actually return it now already and just keep enough of what we have to have to keep body and mind alive and together. It is a kind of attitude which is enormously liberating. If you think for a moment that you have invited a party to your house, You're the hostess or the host. And you've invited quite a number of people, and you have invited them for dinner. So now you're worrying about the preparation, the purchase and the preparation of the food. You're worrying about the arrangements in the house, flowers, cleanliness. You might not particularly appreciate anybody putting burn holes into the carpet. You might even get upset about it. You might worry about the fact that some people take the cutlery. And when it's all over, it stands to reason that the host and the hostess are pretty exhausted and a nervous wreck and they have to start fixing the place up from scratch because it's in a shambles. Now, me- now just imagine for a moment you're a guest at this party. Does it worry you? Do you become exhausted? Do you have to start fixing the place up from scratch? Or can you just share whatever there is and try as a good and polite guest keep it in as good a condition as it was when you entered the place. Not be one of those who put burn holes in the carpet or take the cutlery home. But it doesn't give a great deal of mental strength to be a good guest. We are a guest on this planet for a very short time we don't have to own it we don't have to keep it we don't have to own anything we don't have to keep anything all we have to do is be good guests polite guests, that's all we don't have to worry about it we don't have to keep it all in perfect order whatever it is that we consider ours, that little corner which we consider ours. All we have to do is be harmless. That's all. If we remember, and it's not so difficult to remember, that we are guests all the time, from birth to death, and that whatever it is that we have amassed as far as possessions are concerned. They are nothing but a worry because we consider them our own and they have to be fixed up, they have to be repaired, they have to be cleaned, they have to be looked after, they have to be insured. Locked up. I remember my mother owning lots of very valuable jewelry. She never wore it, it was stuck in a safe. I mean, what nonsense. What can we possibly do with those things? All we can do is equally share. Whatever we have, We've got more than we need of anything. It doesn't matter what it is. The Buddha said there are four requisites for a human life, four things which we need. We have to have enough to eat. We have to have a shelter over our heads. We have to have some clothing to be protected from biting insects, cold and heat, and we have to have some medicine when we're sick. I'm sure we've all got far more than that, and at least 50 or 60 varieties of each. Generosity does not mean trying to get rid of the stuff we don't like anyway. (laughs) The Buddha said there are three kinds of generosity. One is the generosity of a beggar, one of a friend, and one of a king. So the beggar is the one that gives away the um, stuff that's cluttering up the cupboard. And that's useless. The friend shares, shares for the simple reason that that is a natural feeling within, to be able to share. We can share knowledge, we can share skills. Everybody has something that they can share and there's so many people that like to take part in that. A friend shares with others because of feeling the togetherness that none of us can do it alone. We couldn't live properly if we didn't have the assistance of others. Not only those people that are being paid for that assistance, such as doctors and nurses, postmen and telephone repairmen, whatever else there are, but also those people that we can relate to. Our generosity is an opening of the heart with the realization that without it, our life is bare and has dryness in it. It's self-serving, and self-serving never brings a feeling of joy. usually, I think I can say, always brings a feeling of having to cope with problems. The Buddha said, existence is Dukkha. It doesn't mean that we have to suffer all the time. But if we ever come to the point where we accept the fact that existence is Dukkha, because we've seen it in ourselves, doesn't mean tragedy. It just means that it is never totally satisfying. Then our heart more easily opens to others, even if they haven't said anything or done anything, to make us aware of their dukkha, because we know they've got it. They can't be without it. Everybody has it. Existence on any level is a Dukkha. There are different levels of Dukkha. But this is often considered to be a negativity, a negative statement. It's not. It's a positive statement. Because once we accept it, that it is like that, and do not resist it, we don't have to suffer They're still the same dukkha, but it's not a cause for suffering. It's a cause for realization. And it's also a cause for togetherness. We are all connected and united in that one aspect. No matter whatever we're doing, what we look like, how much we own or how little, it makes no difference. generosity is very strongly connected with compassion and also with the inner realization of one's own dukkha and strongly connected with the understanding that the less we want to keep the less problems there are. People who own a lot have to spend a lot of time keeping that in order. Keep it, people who own very little don't have to give their energy that generosity has also an aspect of wisdom the Buddha said that the purity of the receiver purifies the gift which means that we need to have some wisdom discrimination where we would like to put our gift of generosity. There are cases where being generous might be totally useless because the generosity, not because it's not appreciated, but it's not being used for a good purpose. It might be used for a very bad purpose. Although we give without expectation of result, we give with enough wisdom to have at least the understanding that our generosity is being put to good use. And the better use it's being put to, the more valuable the gift becomes. We should never give for any other reason than giving. We should never give because we want to be liked, be loved, be thanked. The only possible reason that we may use to good advantage is to give to make good karma. It's not as pure as giving for giving's sake, but at least it has some understanding at the bottom of it. We make good karma when we're generous. The more we can do that, the more opportunities open up for us because we connect through our giving. We connect to people. We connect to situations. And we can have connections over this whole globe and maybe eventually even past that. And by that, I don't mean that there are people living on other planets. I wouldn't have a clue. But there are beings which are not in, the f- in this form that we are used to. The second one of the virtues is moral conduct. And I will explain that separately at another time. The third one is renunciation. Now renunciation has a connotation of either joining an order, becoming an ascetic, living in a cave, um, all sorts of connotations which are quite extreme. It can be that, but renunciation is something far more worldly than that it's renouncing one's search for the gratification of sensual desire that is usually only possible once we have found something better and most people unfortunately don't even know that there is something better A meditator should know, and even they often don't. The knowing alone may bring about at least enough diligence to keep on meditating, but it still doesn't bring about the renunciation of the desire for sensual gratification. It's only the actualization of the meditative path which will bring it about. Sensual desire is also called greed, and uh, it is one of the two difficulties that we are beset with. The other one being hate. Hate is much more unpleasant makes one feel terrible. And those people who have more of that than the other are more inclined to practice. Also, hate is not supported by our society. We do not support people who scream and yell and hit and kill. We are very much against that rightly so. But we do support people who have greed. In fact, our society runs on it. It's quite successful to have two houses instead of one, five cars instead of three, a boat, a house at the beach, lots of clothes, success and if we can have 15 or 20 credit cards which I have seen in some people's wallets it must be more successful than just having one or two is it I don't know but our whole society runs on the gratification of sensual desire that's what every billboard proclaims, every newspaper ad talks about, and the television ads even bring it in color. It looks great. So we don't have anything against greed. We think it's fine. It's what is being not only supported, but it's fostered. And yet, it doesn't satisfy. Having got one thing, we need another new one. The one thing we got already old when we get it. Renunciation means just that. Recognizing where our need has become greed. It's not easy it's a very fine line and the reason it's also very difficult is because our environment does not subscribe to that idea so if we have a job somewhere people have all sorts of greeds which are considered needs and we become very different if we don't go along with it. Practicing a spiritual path is 180 degrees turned around. To recognize where renunciation can take place is very fascinating because we will find that many things which we thought were essential are totally immaterial and we can have a much less complicated life if we connect with less and want less and have less not only things, but also less interests in that which is essentially gratifying. Time is at a premium for all of us. We are only here for a very short time in this life. If we don't recognize it, one of the spiritual qualities which is called some vega urgency will not arise. We often find that people who have a terminal illness find the urgency or when they finally recognize that they are getting old. But you know life is a terminal illness. None of us are going to survive. It's only a matter of time. Some vega is urgency. And it's a spiritual quality. It doesn't mean that we have to push and pull and strain. It just means we have to get on with it. Get on with it to find that inner peace and that inner joy which comes from letting go. Both generosity and renunciation are both letting go. Letting go of our wants, letting go of our viewpoints of what constitutes the good life. What is the good life? That's a very interesting contemplation. And we can be quite sure that if this contemplation is successful, we will come to the conclusion that the good life exists within each one of us. In our own heart and mind. That's where it's located. but we've got to be able to get at it. And if we clutter up our lives with too many things and too many desires and too many activities and too many interests and too many different knowledges, we can't get at it. We can't get at that inner core where that, what we really want, is located. So both of these, generosity and renunciation, show us again that the Buddha is talking about simplifying. Less complication. Getting back to our own roots. knowing what the priorities are. There are seven more of these virtues, and if there is time enough, I will talk about them. But at this point, I will just tell you what they are. One is determination. I've mentioned that several times, to use it at the beginning of the meditation. Determination gives us direction. We could call it a starting motor. Can't get started otherwise. We have to be determined. Energy is also another one I have already mentioned. It was one of the qualities that the Buddha was looking for in a monk. It is also one of the seven factors of enlightenment. Mental energy. But mental energy produces also physical energy. Mental energy is an alert and awake mind which can find the connection. By that I mean that as you will hear these teachings and as you are hearing them now, you will find separate items which are the practice part. But when the mind is energetic, alert, it will see how these all connect with each other, how they connect to an inner life which has joyous buoyancy and energetic life force. Because it's not bogged down by self-serving and not bogged down by negativity. A mind which doesn't have those two difficulties has energy to spare. And it becomes clear. An energetic mind is also a clear mind. An energetic mind is not a restless mind. Energetic mind is a mind that has clarity. One of the aspects of that is what I call the purification of emotion brings clarification of thought. So if we purify our emotional makeup, and are not overwhelmed by emotional setbacks, the mind remains energetic. It's an absolute essential aspect for meditation. If we don't have an energetic mind, meditation doesn't happen. Another one, another one of the uh, virtues is truth. Now truth is not necessarily only truthfulness, it is that too, but it is also honesty and it is also the search for truth. Another very important aspect on the spiritual path, the search for an inner truth absolute truth is the same for every searcher when it has finally been found there are different pathways and it is important to stay on one pathway whichever one one chooses we can compare the search for truth with climbing a mountain. Now we need someone who's been up that mountain before to show us the way so that we don't fall into the crevice or step on the boulders and break an ankle. Obviously, this mountain as many pathways leading up to the top. And if we want to try all of them, we mightn't have enough time in this lifetime to keep climbing. One path up that mountain with an experienced guide, whichever pathway we choose, but to stay on that one. Otherwise, we'll be going round in circles, round and round the mountain from pathway to pathway. Another aspect of this climb up the mountain is the fact that we mustn't try to see the summit. It's too far up anyway. And if we put our eyes up to the summit, we can't watch each step that we're taking. The only thing that's of importance to us now is the one step which we are taking. One step at a time. And it's the only important one. Nothing else matters. Having taken that step, having watched it carefully, we can take the next one. If we don't enjoy the journey up the mountain, it's highly unlikely that we're going to continue with it. We must enjoy the journey. It doesn't matter when we will arrive. (coughs) Time is arbitrary. It has a great deal to do with concentration. It doesn't matter at all. It's a journey that counts. And we need to enjoy it. We need to enjoy it because It brings satisfaction, contentment, brings a feeling of a worthwhile endeavor, brings a feeling of connecting to something greater than oneself. These feelings are not there. We won't enjoy the journey. Mountain climbing isn't that easy. Most people start puffing along the way. One of the aspects of mountain climbing also applies to our spiritual path. When we're down in the valley, all we can see is what's just around us. Having taken just one or two steps up the mountain, we already get a much larger view. We can see further into the distance same applies to the spiritual path. Just one or two steps, and we can see already more. And not only more, but we see it differently, because we're looking at it from the side of the mountain. We're looking down upon it, a different perspective. If we don't get a different perspective on life through our spiritual practice, we haven't been practicing. There's no way. Truth is a search for truth, but it's also self-honesty. I mentioned it once before. It's difficult. We have a tendency to see ourselves worse than we are or better than we are. And both in equal proportion. Sometimes we think we're practically angels Mm -hmm. and other times we think of ourselves as if we were actually devils. We're neither. We're human beings. And with that comes all that this entails with the ability to change. So what we need for self-honesty is being objective. Looking at ourselves as if we were an outsider watching the whole proceeding. It's a very interesting thing to do It's extremely helpful to see oneself more clearly and it helps us also to understand other people's standpoints. We don't have to share them, but we can understand them. And when we understand other people's standpoints, we will be less inclined to argue with them or to have negative thoughts about them. Self-honesty requires the objectivity of an observer. (coughs) And this is what we do learn in the meditation, the objectivity of the observer who knows the label of the thought, who knows the impermanence, and just seize it and let's go. If we do that with ourselves and daily living, we get a much clearer view of what we are and how we are. We won't know who we are, but that comes later. <laughs> Patience is another one. Patience is also sometimes translated as acceptance, forbearance. Patience and forbearance do go together. And all of these all of them that I've mentioned, help us to reduce our self-centeredness. If we're patient with ourselves, we will be likely patient with others. Patient with their progress, patient with their failing, only possible if we're patient with our own progress and patient with our own feelings. Patience is something that we can acquire. We acquire it through wisdom. When we see particularly that we haven't got it, that we want to hurry things up, we want to have it all happen now, the instant society. It only works with coffee and tea. It really doesn't work with the spiritual part. We need a lot of patience. And patience is an attitude of non-blame. It's an attitude of acceptance an attitude of hope, of being contented. If we're impatient, we're certainly discontented. We can look at ourselves and see whether that's part of our makeup and work on it. Wisdom is another one. I have already talked about it. I will mention it again at another time. Loving kindness and equanimity. Loving kindness are two, and loving kindness and equanimity are two of the four supreme emotions which the Buddha said are the only four worth having, all other emotions can be discarded to great advantage. The quicker we get rid of them, the better off we are. Loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy and equanimity. Here in the virtues, only the two are loving-kindness and equanimity are mentioned. Equanimity is the crown jewel, the epitome of all emotion. Its far enemy is, of course, restlessness, anxiety, upset, worry, but its near enemy is indifference. And that's a difficult one to distinguish because they appear to be the same outwardly, but not inwardly. So the person who is indifferent may appear to be equanimous to others. And Very often a person who's indifferent has used this particular emotion of indifference as a protection and a shield is not aware of it either. But a person who's indifferent is a person who feels him or herself to be a spectator in the theater of life and not a participant. It's always there watching it all, but not having any part in it. And it's a very uncomfortable feeling because such a person does feel left out and can't understand why. Indifference is always without loving kindness and compassion because it is usually used as a protective shield against unpleasant emotions. One doesn't want the unpleasant ones, so one winds up having none. One remains indifferent to others, and also there is not that kind of connection to oneself where one can find the truth in oneself. Indifference is a in, very difficult s- situation for the person who has brought it on to him or herself. But as soon as it's seen, can be discarded. It's only difficult to find. Equanimity is something entirely different. Equanimity is based on the understanding and wisdom that everything constantly changes. So what's the use of getting upset about this or that? It's going to change anyway. And as one watches it change, one realizes that that change in itself is what life is all about. Equanimity is also an understanding that we need not react. We can choose to react. But if we don't choose, but react compulsively, we're victims. And most people are victims to their own emotions. To be a victim is uncomfortable. When we choose to react, because we think that in this particular situation a reaction is necessary or could be producing some beneficial results, we are in charge of ourselves. We're in charge of the situation. But if we react nilly-willy because a certain button was pressed, then we're going to have to learn to watch these reactions and see that they're totally unnecessary. Equanimity has to be based on insight. It can be practiced as a mode of practice strictly based on the understanding that it's the only emotion which promises peace. No other promises peace. Only this one. We can practice it, but it won't be our own inner being until insight has arisen. That'd be enough for tonight. Are there any questions? Yes. Um remind me of our being interconnected with everybody. hmm Well, that particular case that what you're mentioning, if you're thinking of those people that you knew, you already have made the connection with your own mind. And everything that happens, happens in our mind. Nothing else. Well, I think the word mind trip the note the notes head trippers, <coughs> people who are not in touch with their feelings. Uh, that's not exactly what we're talking about. If you put your mind to the um, to remember your loved ones that have already passed away, that's not necessarily a head trip, is it? Yes, in a way. (laughs) If you remember someone, anyone right now, you wouldn't call that a head trip or a mind trip, would you? You remember someone because you want to remember that person. And you remember that person with some, possibly, some affection or with some memory of past deeds. So you're using obviously some memory which is based on some feeling. So both are working, heart and mind, which is as it should be. A head tripper is a person who does not get in touch with their feelings and is constantly trying to analyze life and the world through thinking about it, but not experiencing it. The difference is between the thought and the experience. But the mind contains all of that. That clear? You mean in what instances patience would be um, ill placed? Yes. Uh, patience with oneself, patience with Just others. Yeah. Well, impatience with another person will never be useful. That can never be useful because impatience has a quality of dislike and rejection in it. So that cannot be uh, useful. Um, patience with somebody's um, development or with hoping for the best and that type of thing. Uh, yes, if, uh, if the mind, if one discriminates and says, well, in this case, I don't think I can wait any longer, um, that doesn't have to deteriorate into impatience. It can just be a case of um, I like to put my energy somewhere else and not in this particular direction but give my energy somewhere else but if it deteriorates into impatience it certainly deteriorates into dislike so the opposite is never useful but one can discriminate where one puts one's energy and one should discriminate absolutely (laughs) <laughs> yes. I don't think I said it presupposes ge- wisdom. It has a support in wisdom and it, is, it is, can be better used with wisdom. Um, yes, it's better to err on the side of generosity uh, without wisdom than no generosity and waiting for wisdom to arise. But I don't think it's that quite that clear cut. I think everybody has some wisdom. I don't think that anyone is totally bereft of wisdom. It may not be perfect wisdom, and that's certainly not the case because only the enlightened one has perfect wisdom. But whatever wisdom we have, we should use it in the case of generosity. And if it's very little wisdom, that's fine. That's where we're at. That's exactly the step on that mountain which we have taken. And if we're unsure... It's better to err on the side of giving a little more than giving a little less. Okay, yes, the, king's the the king the king's generosity. Yeah, I didn't mention that. That's right. <laughs> the uh, uh, the king's generosity is the kind of generosity where the person gives more away than he or she keeps. And because this is very rare in uh, human history, such people very often, most cases, become famous. they not only because they give away their money, but because they give away their life for others. And one of the examples of which we are aware at this time might be Mother Teresa of Calcutta, so they become famous because they give away their life for other people and that's a king's generosity or in this case a queen's generosity mm-hmm. anything else I have a question about something that Something that I think, that I think almost there is the amount When um, from getting from the store to the car, you have to see people asking for change. There, some who are homeless and others who are drug. It is hard to tell, yes. and I struggle with that. Yes, quite a bit. yes, it's a it's a problem. I have faced the same problem in India, where you know not just a few are homeless; millions are homeless. And everybody asked you for your spare change. So I finally wound up doing this. I got all the change that I was had and put it in a little bag and had it handy. And every time anybody asked me for a change, I gave it to them. I couldn't figure it out. I didn't know anymore any whether they needed it or whether they didn't need it. I mean they all looked as if they needed it so I just handed it out as much as I had. It was just impossible to find uh, any demarcation line. And since it was always change, um, and they were only asking for that, um, it was fine. So that's what I did. That's about the only thing I can say about it, because that's all I know. Of course, if it's obvious, which it may sometimes be, Uh, like with a vino, He might be lying in the gutter with a bottle of wine in his hand and asking you for change. Well, that would be a case where it wouldn't be wise to give more because all he would do was buy another bottle of wine. But um, if one really wants to be helpful... One may be able to find the shelter for such a person. I don't know. I have no idea what goes on in the society at this time. But with people asking for change, give it. It's better to err on the side of more than less. And I've never been able to figure out who should get it and who shouldn't. So that's all I know. anything else see what a difficult subject even just that one generosity is and it is difficult and it is something that we need to um, have as part of our being being generous it's also part of our um, actions when they're generous, not just money, not just giving change or things like that, but if we're generous with our actions, we want to do them to, for the benefit of others, even small things, you know, like uh, picking up paper from the ground or something like that. Um, and we want to not disturb others. So it, all that is part of generosity. So it's a really big subject and it bears contemplation. Please put the attention on the breath for just a moment. Think of yourself as your own best friend the one who cares and looks after your own happiness reliable concerned always on call Let this friendship for yourself pervade you, fill you, surround you. Think of yourself as the best friend of the person sitting nearest you in this hall. Caring, concerned, ready to help. Fill him or her with your friendship. Surround him or her with those feelings of friendliness and friendship Think of yourself as the best friend of everyone here, caring and concerned, ready to help, feeling connected and together with everyone else. Filling everyone with your feelings of friendship and embracing everyone as a best friend. Think of yourself as the best friend of your parents. Caring, concerned and helpful. Filling them with your feelings of friendship. And embracing them as their best friend. Think of those people who are nearest and dearest to you and think of yourself as their best friend, filling them with your care and concern and friendship and embracing them as their best friend. Now think of all your good friends. Be their best friend. Consider how to be helpful to them. Showing them the depth of your friendship. Fill them with your feelings of being connected, wanting to give. Think of your neighbors at home, the people you work with, those you meet in shops, on the street, those you see here and there, whether you know them or not. Think of yourself as their best friend. Fill them with feelings of friendship wanting to help and to give Embrace them as their best friend Think of anyone whom you find difficult to love and to care for. Let the generosity of your heart speak. Be that person's best friend too. Helpful and caring and concerned and embracing. Open up your heart as wide as you can and let as many people enter as possible. Those you've seen, those you've never seen anywhere, those you know, those you don't know. Embrace them as their best friend. Make the heart so immense, so large that innumerable people can find shelter in it. Now put your attention back on yourself. Feel how comforting it is to be your own best friend. How safe and secure it feels. How you can be joyful about this feeling of friendship for yourself and others be in the joy, the buoyancy and the upliftment of the mind. beings be friends with each other